Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and if you go back and kind of look at the first 13 chapters, here would just be some basic observations I would make. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is beginning to spread to all people. Uh, the church was pretty much birthed in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the town of Antioch has become gospel hub, uh, the sending church, the missional church. But the gospel is beginning to spread. And I'm talking about it comes first to the Jew and then the Gentile, Samaritans, other people are starting to embrace the gospel. The church is growing. And one of the things we know about uh, a work of God when the church begins to grow is that you're, you're going to experience persecution. Persecution is the norm of what we read about here in Scripture. And I think a lot of times when we're walking with God and we feel like we're leaning in and pressing into the Lord that we should uh, be immune of, of persecution and adversity, but we live in a fallen world and I can promise you that the deeper you get with the Lord and the more you press in, you're going to be persecuted and attacked from a lot of different areas. P people are starting to get set free here in the book of Acts, and other people want to fight. I mean, you want to talk about extreme responses to the gospel being preached. The message they're preaching is this. Jesus is Lord and God saves, period. That's the message. It was not about denominations. It was not about religion. And Acts 1.8, which is kind of like the foundational verse in this book, is starting to be realized and lived out. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They are experiencing the dunamis, dynamite, uh, dynamite power of God. The Holy Spirit has come on them. Now they're starting to be God's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, today we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 14, and I want to begin in verse 8. You can read those first seven verses if you want to. It's basically uh, Paul is, 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 is really identifying that Timothy has a calling on his life. There's some things that happen there, and Timothy is going to become a player, if you will, uh, in, in the missional narrative of taking the gospel, pastoring in Ephesus, things will happen with him. I want to pick it up here in verse 8. Now, they're, they're bouncing around. Iconium, that's where they were, uh, dealing with Timothy. The, the word Iconium, I was studying this. This is interesting, if you will. It comes from uh, the word icon. There was a lot of image worship going on there. Ima imagine that. That's where the word Iconium would come from. There's a lot of image worship going on in our culture today. We'll get to that in this text right here. Uh, they've been in different parts of like Cyprus, Antioch. We pick it up here. While they were in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. Man, since birth, probably 30 years. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized that this man had enough faith to be healed. And Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet, taking his first steps ever he began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, These men are God's, small g, in human form. 
they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes because of his great oratory skills and speaking skills. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside of town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd, they brought bulls as a sacrifice, wreaths, flowers to the town gates. Then they prepared to offer these sacrifices to the apostles. But when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people. When you read that phrase, tearing the clothing whatsoever, it is a Jewish expression that rebuked blaspheming taking place. They were ascribing to the apostles only what God deserved. They're like, this is not happening. They shouted out Paul and Barnabas with a loud voice, men, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you, and we have come to bring you the good news that you should repent you need to turn from these idols, these worthless things, and you need to turn to the living God. This God who made the heavens and the earth to see everything in them. In the past, God, our God who we worship, permitted all the nations to go their own way, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. God, God's permitted people to, to rebel and do their own things, but he's always, the heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament show of his handiwork. And God has constantly placed things in front of us, Michael, that say, I'm here, look at my goodness. But even, but even, but even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could not restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Let me make a statement out of the gate. I mean, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. When they make the statements that we are men, we're just like you, they are basically declaring that you will not elevate or celebrate who we are. And we live in a culture today that we would be wise to take the Apostle Paul's advice when he rebuked the thought of somebody trying to make him a rock star pastor. We live in a culture today where man has elevated other men that come in the name of the Lord. And Kara, we know that there's so many today that are applauded as some rock star pastor. And Paul was saying, that's not going to happen. You're not going to elevate us. If anything, that's a form of idol worship. And he rebukes that. And I would tell you, any man, me, Rick, Nick, Dustin, Steve, any man that you may watch on YouTube or TV, we, on our best days, are only servants of Jesus Christ. There's only one that deserves applause, adoration, and attention, and he is the one that conquered death, hell, and the grave. Here's the challenge, here's the challenge Here's what I'm going to build on today. Turn from idols. Turn from worthless things. And turn to the true living God. Turn from, turn to, we must value Jesus Christ above everything. That's the challenge for us today. 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And we're going back some 3,000, 4,000 years ago before Paul would ever preach this 2,000 years ago, some three, 4,000 years ago, as God gave Moses these 10 protections, not preventions. But listen to what he says. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything. Can I tell you the gravitation toward worshiping something other than God has always been in the heart of man? God goes on to say, you must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I will not tolerate your affection or devotion for any other God. It's giving, it's giving us all a warning as we contemplate this today, and I want you to stay with it. Because we live in a pagan world, sinful world, fallen world. Tim Keller defines an idol as anything more important to you than God. Anything that takes control of your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. An idol is anything that defines my purpose. It's anything that arouses my allegiance. It's anything that fights for my devotion. It's anything that I worship and give my time and my money and my energy and my affection and attention to. It becomes an idol. And an idol is anything in your life and my life today that competes against Jesus Christ being supreme. John Calvin, the great pastor of old, made this statement. He said, our hearts are idol factories. I read that quote and I was like, man, that's so right on. Because we're born into the world and the scripture says we're born dead in our sin and trespasses. And the scripture says that the heart is deceitful. It is sick. It is wicked. Who can understand the human heart? And as a result of having a sick, deceitful, wicked heart, we love to create idols. We live in a culture that loves to create idols. Idols. Idols can be people. Idols can be even your family. Idols can be sports. I'll get to that. Exercise can become an idol. Even diet, good things that replace God in our lives can become an idol. Money, cars, houses, all these things can become idols, pride lust and selfishness and religion and addiction and bitterness and fear and worry. Listen, listen, there's so many things that can become the object of our affection. You look around us today and even what I'm using here this Sunday morning to keep my notes on, technology can move from an icon to an idol in a hurry. But there, there's so much good that can come from technology. But as soon as you have the mindset that I have to have the newest iPhone or the newest computer or the newest iPad or the newest smart TV, you can start to pull us away. And there's so many people that become consumed and occupied with having to have you fill in the blank. 
Social media is one of the greatest icons in our day. And when you look at it, it has consumed the life of so many. I mean, you constantly have to open up that Facebook, Instagram, or whichever one you're using, and you're wanting to see how many people have commented on your cute little picture, how many likes you got. Y'all know as well as I do the dopamine rushes that come from these likes and all this stuff. We gravitate toward it. It's been said that the average person spends, listen, listen, two hours a day on social media. Social media is one of those things that has hijacked so many people in their lives. There's bullying and there's threats and all this stuff. And it's like, I was hanging out with one of my brothers on Friday, and he was talking about how law enforcement, oftentimes, they've just got people that patrol social media. And some redneck in this area had posted that he had killed some big deer and posted it on his Facebook thing, and it's not hunting season, and it's out there for the world to see. I'm like, well, there you go, Bubba. I'm glad you had that proud moment. But, you know, status has become an image or an idol for so many people. And you try to keep that right image and you think, man, once I get that right job and have that right salary and I get that right slot and it's going to afford me to get that right car and that right house. And I can tell you this, when status becomes the driving force of your life, it's, it's an idol. As followers of Jesus, you and I know there are so many things that compete for God being central in our life. And I believe that we're living at a time in human history where there's more ads and there's more advertisements and there's more lures and baits being thrown at us to try to grab our attention and affection and lure us away from really being students of Jesus and servants of Christ. As followers of Jesus, Tara, we know this, that we benefit so greatly from living in a community with other sold-out believers. When we start to do life in a small group and we get with other like-minded people, what that allows us to do is allows us to have other people that have eyes to look at the blind spots of our lives, and it allows other people to inspect what's coming off the assembly line of the world that's trying to replace and compete against God. And when we start to do life in a circle with a few other people, and we open up our hearts, Richard, and we become transparent, John Mark, it is amazing the protection that God gives us and doing life with other people. And I would highly encourage you, there will be a time today for small group sign up. And I know there's so much benefit, Sandra, when we get there with others and we press into the Lord together and we press into the Word together and we press into praying together. And when there's trauma and tragedy and all kinds of chaos, we walk with others through pain. Ah, oh, we need community so bad. And we have so many different tracks that will help you, whether it's our recovery ministry, people dealing with addictions and all that, it meets twice a week, whether it's a divorce care, maybe you have been kicked to the curb and you're trying to figure it out again, that helps so many people, whether it's a financial peace thing to help you with your finances, whether it's radical mentoring, you'll hear about that at the end. 
Rick will speak about the importance of, of student culture and seeing people, man, belong and grow and be able to have a place where they can flourish in their walk, I would highly encourage you to get connected. And I can tell you whether you're a pastor, whether you're a teacher, whether you're just a mom or a dad or a coach or a friend, you benefit from having other godly people around you that can keep an eye on you. Hey, man, chill for a second. You're starting to give all your time toward travel ball. You're starting to give all your time toward your boat and, and hanging out at the lake. You're starting to give all your time and attention to you fill in the blank. Hey, let's, let's, let's protect our hearts and keep Christ center of what we do. Let, let me break down some practical thoughts. We must turn from idols, worthless things, and turn to the true living God. Number one, I would say, you've got to be willing to identify what the idol is, what your idol is. In Psalm 115, 700 years before Christ came on the scene, even the psalmist said, their idols are merely things of silver and gold. They're shaped by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak, and eyes, but they cannot see, and ears, but they cannot hear. They have hands, but cannot feel, and they have feet, but cannot walk. Before you can turn from an idol, you have to identify them and recognize how empty they are. Every idol that any person worships, I can promise you this, an idol will promise to give you things that it can't deliver on. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's a car, whatever. And I shared with you guys, I'll never forget driving down, doing this wild game dinner years ago. We were driving down the highway and we passed this junkyard. And Jeff Foxworthy, who's a master of one-liners, said, hey, dude, check it out. I'm like, yep, a junkyard. He goes, every car in that junkyard used to be somebody's pride and joy. When we think of what we place so high value uh, on in our lives, if we're not careful things that are going to rust and rot and decay, I would tell you be careful. Be careful uh, of allowing these things that cannot satisfy. They're not from God. They're man-made. They're handmade. And we have to be honest enough, Glenn, to identify how worthless idols are. We have to be honest enough to identify how they create so much devastation and ruins in our life. And we live in a culture today, as I said, where never before in human history did we see the amount of luring and ads and propaganda thrown at us saying, get this, buy this, it will make you happy. Let me give you some practical things you can do. I would tell you when it comes to identifying You've got to examine your thoughts. You've got to. You've got to, to stop and go, what do I think about most of the time? When my mind wonders, what does it drift to? Does it drift toward money or materialism or getting high or getting by or getting with this person or fame or approval? I can promise you as a man thinks, so he is. And so when you start to give your thoughts to something long enough, it's going to lure you and pull you in that direction. 
Isaiah 26 says, I will keep you in perfect peace if you will keep your mind fixed on the Lord. I'm going to think about something. I'm going to entertain some thought. So I would highly encourage you in, in your quiet time, in prayer time, assuming that you have a quiet time in a prayer time, get along with the Lord and get honest and allow the Holy Spirit to turn on his searchlight in your heart to say, all right, where do my thoughts gravitate? When I'm just kind of idle, just kind of cruising, what do I allow my mind to be fix, fixated on? And another thing I would tell you is examine your attention. I'm giving my attention to something. So I would ask, what would I rather be doing than walking with Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and glorifying God? Where would I rather be? What am I giving my attention to? What's consuming my time? What's keeping me from being a kingdom productive person in the body of Christ? And, and, and you know as well as I do, we live in a culture where oftentimes people just tolerate other people's stuff because if I tolerate yours, then maybe you'll tolerate mine. And this whole concept of being accountable and responsible and reliable is a foreign concept. And it's like, no, man, I want my life to count for the kingdom. I, I've jacked it up in the past. And, and, and I, I value accountability. I want you to help me. Another thing we can do is to examine our finances. When you start to look at your credit card statement or your checkbook or whatever, we have to be honest and go, where do I spend my disposable income? What do I give a lot of my money to? Where is it going? I, I, I mean, people will talk about, well, man, I'm broke. Yeah, but you got these, you got these four cars and you're broke. You've got this internet package right now, dude. You're paying a buck seventy a month for because you get showtime. How's that working for you? And if we're not careful, we start to create these subscriptions and all this disposable income going to things, and it's like, do I even need that? It was a want that I justified as a need. I mean, here's the question. What are you willing to go in debt for? That can, that can identify for us a possible idol in our life. And it amazes me what people are willing to go into debt for. And people get strapped. And, and, and they're living a life of poverty. It's like, do I tithe? Do I tithe consistently? Do I give the first fruits to the Lord? And then I would tell you, examine your relationships. Relationships oftentimes can make or break you. And it's like, what person do you love the most? Why? Who are you trying to please the most? Why? Whose voice do you empower the most? Why? Do you have any close relationships that you know just take you away from God? Every voice you listen to and empower comes with a philosophy of how to do life. Every philosophy of how to do life comes with a protocol of what you should follow. We're going to listen to something. Some of us are so defeated because we're empowering the voices of the past. And God is like, stop it. You're a new creation. I love you. I'm for you. And if I'm for you, who can be against you? 
we're allowing the voice of the critic oftentimes to drive our narrative. Can I tell you something? I realize that pastoring, I realize in leading other people that I signed up to be attacked. And I think oftentimes we think, man, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm going to walk with the Lord. Man, I've got like this immunization now against anybody hating me or not liking me. The enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have to look at these relationships. You want to know another big one for us is to examine your concerns. It's like, what do I worry about? What do I fear losing? It might be in that area right there that that has become an idol. I've got this fear of losing my parent. I've got this fear of losing. I've got this, this worry that's taken me down. And if we're not careful, that becomes an idol. We start to allow our thoughts and attention to gravitate toward that. I mean, I think one of the simplest things, Mama Kay, is to look and go, I need to examine my prayer life and my word time. How much time am I just really sanctifying to the Lord in prayer, sitting before the Lord, meditating on Scripture, combing through the Psalms, combing through the Proverbs? How much time am I leaning in and pressing into the Lord? I would encourage you to please examine and identify the desires of your heart. You've got to identify what the idol is. Second, refuse to minimize your idol and call it just a vice or just a habit or just an addiction don't minimize it call it what it is just call it sin you've got to call it what it is verse 8 in psalm 115 says those who make idols become like them and so do all who trust in them idols are dead they're man-made they're handmade they're not god made and those who worship idols live dead defeated lives i'm worshiping something that's not alive i'm worshiping something that's going to expire and i can promise you i live there You've got to refuse to excuse whatever it is. Ah, oh, it's just my personal preference. Well, that's just one of my liberties that I have. You've got to call it what it is. What is that? It's sin. Having something before God is sin. When I was growing up, I'm telling you, by the time I reached those teenage years and figured out I might be able to go somewhere with this, in baseball, baseball was my idol. I worshiped that game. People used to say, man, if you're going to make it, you got to eat it, you got to live it, you got to sleep it. And guess what I did? I ate it. I lived it. I slept it. I laid in bed at nights after games, replaying certain pitches, replaying certain situations of a ball game can i tell you when my mind drifted to something it drifted toward that it drifted toward being consumed with making it to the big leagues oh you've gone to college now you've signed you're in rookie ball now you're in a ball now you're in double a now you're on a triple a contract you're knocking on the door and i was consumed man it drove everything about me and the lord said that's your god and when I repented and asked Jesus to save me 
in October of 1985, I'll never forget, the Lord said, that game is your God. Tim, you got to let it go. I read a book years ago, a guy said, for all those years I thought I was gripping a baseball, when in reality baseball was gripping me. And there's so many things, if we're not careful, even good things that are neutral things that become God things for us. Are you saying baseball is evil? No, I'm saying whether it's baseball, football, basketball, working out, dieting, uh, try, trying to be healthy, even good things can become small G God things if we start to empower them wrongly. And I did. I'm like, Lord, how do I play this game and prepare to be the best that I can be with allowing it, without allowing it to rule and champion my heart? He's like, you, you, you're going to have to learn to prioritize this stuff. It's a job, Tim. It's a game. It's got an expiration, to, expiration date to it. Can I tell you, God created each and every one of us, every human being, with a built-in worship center. And it's called the heart. Worship God with all your heart. Inside of every person, you've got this built-in worship center. And can I tell you, Dallas, when we worship the right thing, the Lord, our hearts come alive. But the problem is, for most of us, we oftentimes worship the wrong thing. When we read in Matthew 21, when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, and he makes this statement, he says, Joseph, Mary is going to give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus, and he is going to save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus. God is our salvation. When he comes, he's going to come and save people from their sin. He didn't say that he's going to save them from their vices or idols or addictions. or He's going to save them from sin. What? has disrupted each and every one of us at the core, sin. But have you noticed that it has become a sin to call sin, sin? It's become a sin to call sin, sin in our society. We've got all these other words and we've got all these other labels. And one of the things that breaks my heart we, we've eliminated kneeling at the altar, and we've eliminated crying out to God in violent repentance for sitting on a secular therapist's couch, vomiting up our problems. We've traded kneeling at the altar, dealing with our hearts before God in the sin inside for consuming blue pills to numbness, we have traded kneeling before the altar and crying out to God in repentance for a bottle of wine to drown our sorrows. We live in a culture where people don't want to call sin, sin. How'd you get in this situation? I ain't calling it that. I just got some issues. And I look around and I was thinking like people are drowning all around us in something they don't even believe in. If you don't believe in sin, how can you repent from sin? 
And I look at so many people's lives and they have no hope and they have no purpose and they have no value. They have no worth. They're struggling. And we can help people identify like these issues in their life. But until a person says, I've got to have Jesus. I've got friends that are Christian counselors and they've helped millions of people literally over the years. And I look and I go, that is helpful because they're pointing people to Jesus to deal with what the core operational belief is. But so much of what we hear now is psychotherapy and it doesn't deal with the core heart issues. And we need our hearts changed. And the problem in this woke culture that we find ourselves living is so many pastors will not talk about sin, will not talk about confession, will not talk about repentance. And when John the Baptist hits the trail blazing out there, he starts preaching a message saying, repent, turn from your sin and your systems and all. Return to the Lord. Repent. Get right with God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand today. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite writers, he said, there's only two types of people in the world. Sinners who admit it and sinners who don't. I needed salvation. Part of being a sinner who admits it is recognizing sin. That's sin. The conviction of sin the repentance and turning from sin, the embracing of the gospel of grace, and then aligning your will to the will of God, that's the dividing line for all of eternity. When I go, I recognize sin. I'm convicted of my sin. I've got to repent of my sin. There's only one that can deal with my sin. His name is Jesus. He will come and save his people from their sin. I would tell you, you've got to name it, identify it. Vague confession oftentimes leaves us in stable misery. Wow, I just know I'm a sinner. No, I'm, I'm strung out on drinking i'm strung out with lust i'm strung out on pride when we start to specifically itemize what our bondage area is our sin is we've got a chance to move toward healing here's the third thing i would say to you we're going to address it confess it and then three repent and turn to the true living god I mean, that was the message that Paul is proclaiming in Lystra, where all of this mythology, all of this Greek myth stuff was being worshipped with Zeus and Hermes and all this other stuff. And, oh, man, look at y'all. Y'all just told that dude to get up, and he did. We're going to bring you all these gifts. We're going to elevate you. We're going to celebrate you. And he's, stop it. Turn to God. It's in the name of Jesus that this man was made well. You've got to be willing to repent and turn to the living God. Authentic fruit happens in our life, and we know this. When we repent and press in and lean in and surrender to the Lord. I stop living for myself. I learn to trust God. I believe, Cindy, God wants to lead me. I believe he's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. Here's one of the most powerful texts to me. When I think about repenting and turning to the Lord, Revelation 2, 
So John is on the Isle of Patmos, and the Holy Spirit gives him this illumination and revelation to write to the seven churches from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea. But as he writes this, Steve, he goes, I, I have this against you. He's writing to one of the churches. He's not writing to a bunch of pagans. He's writing to people that claim to be Jesus followers. Church at Ephesus, I, I have this against you. Here's what I got against you, that you have left your first love. Uh, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds that you did at first, or else I'm going to come and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Remember. Remember your first love. Remember from where you have fallen. You have left it. And the word left literally translates, I have I have fallen away from fellowship and intimacy and communion with God. I've drifted away from it. The word fallen means that you're in spiritual decline. You're in spiritual decay. He goes, you've got to remember. Remember your first love. You've fallen away from that. You've left it. You didn't lose it. You left it. God goes, once you come to me, nobody's going to snatch you out of my hand. you got to make sure you've come to me. He goes, you didn't, you, you, you didn't lose it, you left it. Like, I left it. And I think a lot of times we're looking for things that we've left. Man, I left it. Didn't even know I had left it. The other morning, Dallas, I, I was down in the basement at about 5 o'clock, and I'm like, man, where is my exercise ball? And, and if you've ever got these exercise balls in your house, they're, they're kind of hard not to see. I, I think Stevie Wonder could have spotted it if it would have been in the living room. But I'm like, so I, I look for it and I'm like, ah, I'll talk to Barb later about it. So, so I, I, I get upstairs that morning and I go, Barb, I'm looking for the, that exercise ball. I got a blue one, I got a gray one. Have you, have you seen those exercise balls? Because I got to be honest with you, I hope I never move again in my life because moving there's so much stuff we're still trying to figure out all this stuff anyway right so but she goes no i haven't seen it uh did you leave it in the basement of the other house when we moved maybe i had to go buy that day i was doing a wedding over in norcross and i had to go buy because there was a package shipped to that address and i'd call the lady and i said hey uh can I come by and get this package? Says, oh, yeah, baby, we'll be here. So I go by and, 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 and I get the package, but I said, can I ask you a question? I said, uh, I was looking for this exercise ball. It's, it's kind of hard to miss. I said, did I leave it in, in the basement down there in my workout room that, that we used here? She said, baby, I ain't worked out in 10 years. I don't know. I ain't even been in that room. I'm like, come on. You, you, you haven't been in the workout room? I left some weights and different things. She goes, come on, we'll go look. As soon as I walk into the room after turning on the light, I'm like, bam! Yes! I didn't lose it. I left it. I just didn't pack it. Something in me did not see the value of that making the trip when we were doing all this other stuff. And, and there's some people... You start to look at your faith journey today. You came to faith and you were pressing into the Lord and you you wanted to honor God. 
And you allowed other things to run interference that's caused you to leave the Lord. The, the Lord hasn't left you. And we've drifted and we've fallen and we've reached a place spiritually where we're in decay. We're in decline. We, we've drifted from the Lord. And the Lord is saying, come back to me. I ain't lost you. You just left me. And I think for church folk, this is so important right here. Hey, hey you left me. I was hanging. I want to commune with you in the morning. And I was like, remember when you first got saved and you were on fire for the Lord and you couldn't wait to get into the Word and you couldn't wait to spend time in prayer and you couldn't wait to be a part of a small group and you couldn't wait to go to a face down to worship and you couldn't wait to serve to invest in that next generation and, and you were all excited about worshiping God and witnessing. I was like, come on. You got to remember. And then after you remember, you've got to repent. I've jacked it up. Repentance involves this deep conviction in our soul and our hearts and our minds where we see ourselves guilty, deserving death and hell and eternal separation. I mean, if I'm truly repenting, there, there's going to be this godly sorrow that says, look, I'm convicting you. You've wronged this relationship. I love you. Like repenting is a sincere cry of the heart where we turn from sin and we confess our need and dependence and allegiance and devotion to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 7 says, The sorrow that is according to the world, or, or the sorrow that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret. The godly sorrow that only God can bring about. It brings about this repentance without regretting who's going to maybe not like this or what I'm going to have to give up or what I can't do any longer. He goes, do you realize that godly sorrow, when you repent, you don't have any regrets. It's like, man, I have found, I have found the greatest thing ever known to man, a relationship with Christ and the joy of the Lord. But he says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Look at what you're giving up. Look at what you're going to lose. Look at all those friends that are going to mock you. So, so, so look at that. You're, you're not even going to have a social drink. You're not even going to occasionally, man, just blow one and get high with us. You're not going to do that anymore? No! It was an idol. It had consumed me. All of my disposable income was going in that direction. I lived in misery. No, I don't want to do that anymore. I met Jesus so resurrected king and I've got hope for the first time and peace for the first time and purpose for the first time and joy for the first time a repentance without regret it's like man if we can get to the place as followers of Christ where we change that's what repentance means it means to change it means to unplug from whatever source that you've been plugged into and plug only into Jesus if the church can move from this apathetic love to this appreciating love of Jesus whew, you're gonna walk with me man I got to get back right with God I got to eliminate any idol any worthless thing that's sabotaging my walk with God and then he says hey you got to remember it you got to repent and then he goes why don't you return to what you were doing at first. You remember, remember when you were so fired up? 
Remember when you were just fired up about the basics before you ever heard about whether tongue talking or not tongue talking or predestination and election or not predestination uh, predestination and election or, or whether Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. You remember when you fell in love with Jesus before all this other peripheral stuff started becoming arguments and debates? Yeah. Why, why don't you do what you did at first? Why don't you get back to the basics? Remember when God, even writing through James, says, why don't you just draw near to God? And God says, hey, man, I'm going to draw near to you. Why don't you just press into the Lord? And I've met so many people over the years. When they first got saved, they were on fire. And, and for whatever reason, they've drifted. They've fallen. You go, hey, you remember what you were doing when you were first saved? I was going to church worshiping. Were you really? Then go to church and worship again. Go hang out in a community of believers and do it again. Hey, you remember when you first got saved? You were, you were doing devotions every morning and you had a prayer journal and you were pressing into the Lord. I do. Do devotions again. Remember when you first got saved and you started listening to worship stuff? Yes. You, you, you remember you just put the Doobie Brothers and Foreigner and the Eagle stuff over there going, I, 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 I got to get my mind fixated on the Lord. Yeah. Remember, since you've drifted, you started listening to all this talk radio junk and all this political nonsense that you continue to listen to. Start listening to worship again. Really? Yes. Man, I was singing songs, man. Driving down the road. Start singing again. Remember when you first got saved, you were tithing faithfully? Start giving again. Remember when you first got saved, you wanted to serve? Start serving again. Remember when you first got saved, you were on fire? and you were sharing your story with other people about the redemptive work of the Lord, start sharing your story again. Because that's what he says. Why don't you do what you did at first? When, when you came to me and I was enough, it's like it's so easy to drift away. There's a lot of songs about drifting away, huh? i close you with this. I want you to... And I want to encourage you to prayerfully evaluate your life and make sure that nothing is becoming more center, supreme, and important in your life than the Lord. I mean, as iron sharpens iron, iron Dallas, we sharpen one another. I mean, I got blind spots, you got blind spots. I need an extra set of eyes, you benefit from it. When we do life together, we're loving each other. We're letting each other be where we're at, but we're loving each other so much with that. We're not going to let you just stay there. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll walk with you. So here's the four questions. Where do I spend most of my time? What am I giving most of my time to? Where do I spend most of my money? It ain't mine anyway. I'm just a caretaker and a steward of what belongs to God. But where do I, where do I see most of the money going? Where do I get my joy and my worth, truly? Is it approval? Is it attention? Is it, where, where do I get most of that? What's always just kind of on my mind? What am I fixated on? What, what's stealing so much of my attention? I mean, for some of us, 
We're so sideways with other people in fellowship and people get mad when we don't carry out their agenda. I've noticed that in ministry, that how other people's ideas are not my assignment, but when you don't make it your assignment and it's their idea, you haven't heard from God, brother. And people can start to get bitter and rage and slander and it's like, stop. What does the Lord, what does the Lord mean to you? How strong is your affection for the Lord today? How's your word time and your prayer time? How honest are you with confessing any idols that are competing against Jesus? Yes. God's going to see us through this thing. We might die in the process. That's where these disciples were. God, God is enough. God's going to see us through it. Even if we're even if we die, we're going to worship the Lord. Yes. I'm going to worship the Lord. Let's rally together and worship the Lord.